Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Animal Files. How y'all doing today? We got another great episode for you. I promise. <laughs> We're going to be talking to the dog owners out there. And some of you may be waiting, wait a minute, I take, I'm a really good dog owner. But all of us at one time or another have made a mistake with our animal. It just happens. We're human. So we're going to talk about the mistakes you might be making with your dog. Dogs are very sensitive creatures. So it's important to understand what goes into being a dog owner, lover, advocate, and how the dog responds to our human world and where you can find that balance. So let's just start. We got a whole bunch of little points here. Hmm. So get out your notebooks if you are a dog owner hmm. or if you're thinking about being a dog owner, because this is going to help you not make the mistakes or correct the ones you may be making unknowingly right now. Hmm. So let's start, Miranda. Well, one of the initial mistakes that people who have had a dog or maybe considering getting a dog this can be a very common mistake that people make is that they don't think about their lifestyle and their budget prior to getting the dog. This can be really detrimental to your dog, sometimes to the extent that they end up being surrendered or other things. <laughs> and behavioral issues because they yes. don't know what to do with themselves. Right. So it's really important prior to or even currently to look at what your lifestyle is and your budget is and determine whether or not you can really properly take care of the dog that you have chosen, whether it's a purebred, whether it's a mixed breed, it doesn't matter. And what do we mean when we talk about your lifestyle? This means looking at things like, what is your activity level like? Are you somebody who likes to spend a lot of time on the couch or just relaxing a lot? Are you somebody who likes to be out and active, running, walking, biking, doing all of those kinds of activities? Or maybe you're somebody who's kind of in between. And one thing I want to add is also your work-life balance. Yes. How many hours do you put in at your work? Are you home a lot more or you're at the office a lot more? Mm -hmm. Because a dog needs companionship and a dog needs connection. And if you cannot offer that, that should go into your decision and weigh heavily as to what breed or even if you should get one. Mm -hmm. Yes, because if you're going to be away from home for more than eight hours a day and your dog is going to be left alone for that entire time. And there's nobody else who is going to be coming in and taking them for a walk or interacting with them in some way, then you're leaving your dog alone for way too long. Yep. It's unfair for them to have to be potentially cooped up in a kennel crate, whatever, for that entire time. I mean, think about the fact that I'm going to the bathroom. I mean, would you want to have to hold yourself for eight hours before you could go to the bathroom? I mean, yeah, wouldn't be very comfortable. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
plus they're if they're in a crate or a kennel, all they can really do is sleep the whole time because they can't play, they can't really move around or do anything like that. So even if you're gone for eight hours, you really need to think about having somebody else come at least midday to at the very least take them out to go to the bathroom. But it would even be much, much better if they are actually taken for a walk and given some engagement playtime so that they're not getting bored and they're not developing anxiety and different issues like that. There's also muscular issues. Mm. Like if they're not able to move their body, their body's not going to function at their optimal level. Just think how we feel when we're sitting in a chair all day long at the office. Mm -hmm. Put them in a cage where they can't move for eight hours and then all they can do is lay down or sit. Mm -hmm. Another perspective. Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody else who's in the household who has maybe different hours, then you maybe have a son or a daughter that perhaps comes home from school at lunchtime. They could take your dog out for a brief period. They may not have a lot of time, but they can at least let the dog out to go to the bathroom. Otherwise, consider hiring a dog walker, or you might even be able to just find a neighbor or somebody in your neighborhood who just does, isn't able to have a dog themselves and would really love to be able to take your dog for a walk. They might just be willing to do it for free. Something to think about. There's also those doggy daycares, but you're going to have to make sure that your animal is fully vaccinated and in proper legal working order. (laughs) (laughs) Spayed or neutered, yes. (laughs) <laughs> ah, whatever um but no <laughs> but yeah i mean that's an option if you are one of those people who does what they need to do to make sure their animal is properly taken care of medically with a veterinarian you have that option mm-hmm. they get to play with other dogs all day long mm-hmm. and they're going to get their mental stimulation they're going to get their exercise they're going to be able to get their chance to go pee in the middle of the day if they have to because somebody is there to do that for you mm-hmm. some of these things are probably going to sound really familiar we've said a lot about a lot of these points but it's really important for us to talk about these things so you can understand the full scope of what it takes to be an effective, loving, compassionate dog owner. And you're going to find that we as humans tend to neglect our animals without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. Let's continue. A lot of these next few points are all about different ways that we're neglecting the animal. Mm -hmm. And I would say that probably most of the dog owners out there are not doing any of these things intentionally. No, they're not. They're just, they haven't had the awareness brought to them and they just made decisions on what they knew at the time. Yeah, you know what you know and you Mm -hmm. can't fault yourself for not knowing something. But hopefully as you listen to this show today, you will now know more and you will do more (laughs) because when we know more, know better, we do better. Right. (laughs) I love bringing that quote in. Yeah. When you know better, you do better. So hopefully this show helps you to know better. So we mentioned budget was another thing that often people don't consider before they get an animal. So this is where neglect can come in because if we get an animal solely based on our desire for companionship, our 
wanting to receive some support from them because of an anxiety or depression issue or something along those lines, we might not stop to consider, okay, well, what does this animal need to thrive? What do I need to do to make this animal's life the best it could be? Which means we need to consider what we might end up having to pay for medical care. So at the very least, you want to be able to bring them for an annual exam to help ensure that there is no health issues that have developed. Because if you do an annual exam, you're going to have a much better ability to catch something earlier rather than later, which means it's going to be a lot less expensive to manage it or treat it. Mm -hmm. But that cost can also involve getting your dog spayed or neutered which is something that Victoria and I strongly advocate for. But if you've listened to our previous episode, we talked about the pros and cons of both sides of that. Mm -hmm. Also, how are you going to pay for any medical treatments, medical care? Well, you're going to want to look at potentially having pet insurance Mm -hmm. or creating a separate bank account, savings account that is exclusively for your pet or pets. I think that's a really great idea if you can't afford something monthly as an insurance, because insurance can get expensive. It is insurance. But if you can at least do a savings account, you could put a little bit at a time in and you're not fixed to one certain fee every month. Mm -hmm. So that can help build up the balance. So heaven forbid something down the line really expensive happens. You have at least something to pull from. Mm -hmm. And it also helps if for the instances where you may have an animal that they have a pre-existing condition that insurance won't end up covering. Then at least if you have a savings account, then you still have some money aside that you can put towards it. Good point. And then of course you've got the toys, the supplies, the food. These are going to have to be continually replenished. The food at least is going to be a few hundred dollars a year, especially if you're going to feed them good quality food, which we hope that you would. If you're feeding good quality, you could be several hundred dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Because some of those bags, especially a larger dog, they eat a lot of food. Mm -hmm. Again, choose the dog that fits your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Little dogs aren't going to eat as much food as a Bernice Mountain Dog or (laughs) a Great Mm -hmm. Pyrenees or St. Bernard or an Irish wolfhound. Those are huge, huge dogs that probably eat about $150 worth of food a month. And it's not just size that affects the quantity of food that's being eaten. It's also the activity level. Oh yeah. Border collars probably eat a lot of food. Mm -hmm. Dalmatians, they're very energetic animals. Yes. Now, what about, do you provide enough mental and physical stimulation for your dogs? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? This means... Are you giving them enough exercise? Not enough exercise for your liking, enough exercise for their needs. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So it could take a little bit of work planning to figure out how much exercise they actually need to keep them healthy and then planning that into your lifestyle. Then there's playtime. So exercise is great, but they also need to have mental interaction as well as social interaction. So playtime could mean that they are playing with other dogs. It could mean that they're playing with you. 
It could also mean that you're doing training activities with them. There could be puzzles. There could be other enrichment activities that could be stimulating their natural instincts, like they're hunting, they're digging, those types of instincts. So these are all different things to consider to help with their mental and physical stimulation, because that's going to reduce any developments of behavioral issues, anxiety, depression, or even physical health issues that could develop as a result of those things. Yeah. Play and enrichment is something that both wild and domestic dogs will do. Play is a natural state. Every animal on this planet, I've even seen insects playing. It's something that is essential for the health and the wellness of whatever animal you have. So thinking that your animal is lazy and you're not going to play with them, maybe you haven't found the right thing to play with them with. Exactly. They're dogs. They want connection. They want community. They want socialization. It makes them thrive. Mm. And you can do that with playtime. That's what that builds. You will have a healthier animal overall if you do that. Plus you'll have a better relationship with them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you spend quality time with your animal. They're going to have a much stronger bond with you and they're going to want to spend that time with you, especially when they start to see that you want to spend the time with them, that you're willing to take that time with them they're going to start looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. That also will probably mean you'll have better communication with them because they're going to respond to you that much better. Now, this is another area that often gets neglected because people don't really know what they need to look for or probably don't even think about it. You know, we tend to think about it with our children. Oh, well, I've got a brand new baby. It's not going to be long before he or she starts crawling on the floor and starts exploring in that, I better put things in place to help protect the baby. But we don't seem to think about that with our dogs, particularly when they're puppies, because just like a baby, they're curious. Mm -hmm. They want to explore their surroundings. They want to check things out. And inevitably, they're going to get into things that could end up causing them serious issues, physical harm, either through ingesting or through causing injury to their body in some way. I'm a big advocate of pet proofing your home. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is done in the same way that we do for children. The difference is that maybe because they're constantly on a much lower level, usually, particularly when they're puppies, that we kind of have to get down to their level and sort of see, okay, what do I see when I'm at this level? What might a puppy be curious about and try to get into? You know, so there might be things that we might not think about, like, different electrical cords, small openings that they could potentially get stuck in. Things that they can swallow is a really big thing. Oh, yeah. Because. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially with puppies. They're, they explore their world with their mouth. And if they're teething, forget it. They're going to be putting stuff in their mouth left and right. Mm -hmm. You know, so you need to be really careful if you've got hair accessories, for example. If you've got elastics that end up on the floor or hairpins or things like that or even like coins. These are all things that they could potentially swallow, which can cause some very serious health effects. I've heard dogs like socks too. So keep your socks away from your dogs. Mm. 
if you're still unsure about what we're talking about, talk to your vet, ask your vet, what are some of the things that you've seen they have ingested? Mm. You're going to be surprised. Oh, yeah. You're going to see dogs that have eaten full Christmas cords of lights. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard that there are some dogs, I don't really know the reason for it, but for some dogs, they seem to be particularly susceptible to eating almost anything that's in their path. You know, I've heard people who've taken their dogs for a walk and their dog ate some weird thing that was in the path somewhere. So if you've got a dog like that, then that means it's your responsibility to really be paying attention so that you're not letting these dogs out on a long leash so that they're getting into these things, but you're also paying attention to where you're walking. You're not on your phone. You're not engaged in something else. You're paying attention to where you're walking so that you can move away from something when you see it to keep your dog from eating it. Mm -hmm. This next one's a big one. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just a chihuahua. Oh, it's just a Maltese. They don't need this stuff. Well, let's (laughs) give them the what for. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the truth of the matter. Believe it or not, I think small dogs probably have much more behavioral issues than larger dogs simply because of this. (laughs) Yes, they need training. And if you think that your animal doesn't need training, doesn't need socialization with other dogs, and you just want it to be just this thing that lives in your home and you're its only companion, well, you're going to end up with a dog that has massive behavioral challenges and stress issues. Mm -hmm. Chihuahuas that shake all the time and they're nasty and barking all the time, it's because they don't have training. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're little. Yes, they have a little bit of a different view on the world than a Labrador. But most of the time, these little dogs have these behavioral issues because they don't have training. They're not being taught how to be comfortable in their own skin and to be confident in their own skin because we baby them. Mm -hmm. Allowing your dog to interact with other dogs is good. You need to allow them to socialize with everyone. Yes. Dogs, people, and training is one of those ways that you can do that. Mm -hmm. And interacting with other dogs is important you know, hopefully they're going to get that socialization and training from their mother prior to you getting the dog. But unfortunately, that doesn't always happen because of the way our society currently is. The mother dog and the litter itself will teach the dogs how to interact with each other. They learn their normal dog behaviors and what is considered appropriate and not appropriate. You go to the dog park sometimes and you get some of these dogs that do not understand the signals that another dog is giving them because they've never had that proper socialization. You know, maybe they'll be constantly trying to go and sniff another dog's bum and that dog is telling them to back off, but they don't get it. They're just thinking, oh, this is all fun and I just want to play with you and I just want to interact with you and that other dog just doesn't want to have it. Well, that's when you can end up having a dog attacking another dog Mm -hmm. because it's escalating to, okay, you're not listening to this one signal that I have. I'm giving you warnings. So you're ignoring that. I guess we're going to go to a bite. Maybe that's something you'll respond to. That's why it's really important for them to get that proper socialization. But training is also important. Like I see this all the time when I go to the dog parks. 
So many of these dogs do not have proper training and socialization skills. A lot of these dogs will go and run up to people and start jumping all over them. And they need to be taught that jumping up is not appropriate. Mm -hmm. And they also need to learn, they need to respond when they're called to come back. But I see a lot of people, you know, especially with small dogs, it's like, oh, they just really like you. Oh, you know, it's just, you know, so cute and that kind of response. Well, we tend to not allow that for our larger dogs because they could knock somebody over. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have people walking in the dog park who may not have strong stability on their legs, or maybe they might be a little more elderly. You know, they might be able to get knocked over really easily. So these are different things to think about. But even when you're just taking them for a walk on a leash, that's another thing I see a lot of is dogs pulling on the leash Mm -hmm. because they have not been taught how to properly walk on a leash. That doesn't mean that you have to have them on an extremely short leash right by your side and not allowing them any kind of movement at all. If they're properly trained, you won't need to do that. Yeah. And here's another thing. I think we all fall into this category is we believe that all dogs should get along or they're going to get along. When in (laughs) fact, dogs are just like people. We don't get along with everybody. Dogs are the same way. So we cannot (laughs) believe that our dogs are going to automatically get along with another dog and even know how to interact like Miranda was talking. We don't like every single person we come in contact with. Maybe it's their energy. Maybe it's the way they're talking to us. Maybe it's if they're being overly needy. We have a problem with that. Well, dogs are the same. Mm -hmm. We need to allow them time to get used to each other. And that requires patience. Mm. You have to properly introduce each one of them. And it's best to do that in a neutral ground where one is not saying this is my territory over the other. Mm -hmm. If they're used to being trained, treats and rewards are really good, but it takes patience. Now you have to be careful with treats too, because a lot of treats out there are not healthy. The treat should just be small little bites, like the tip of your pinky finger. They should not be like a meal in itself. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to use treats sparingly. And we want to make sure that we're rewarding them for desired behaviors and not just because they're doing something cute. Mm-hmm. We're all a victim to their cuteness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Animals need boundaries. They need rules. If your dog's jumping on people, don't pat them on the head and say they're doing a good job. Oh, get down, sweetie. You're fine. You're fine. That's not the way you train No. (laughs) Because they're going to say, oh, if I jump, I'm going to get a pat on the head. (laughs) Right. Because they respond to your behavior more so than they're responding to your words. They understand the action more than what you're saying. I mean, they understand a few words that we say but it's your action that they respond to more. Mm -hmm. Having a lack of rules and boundaries causes stress. Mm -hmm. It just does. And this often ends up occurring in households where you have two or more people who are living in the home and they're not on the same page when it comes to the rules Mm. and the boundaries. Yeah. So you could have one person who is consistently telling the dog that they can't be on the couch. And the other person is not thinking it's a big deal. So whenever you're not home, they allow the dog on the couch. Well, 
then the dog is going to get anxious because they don't know what they're supposed to do. Well, sometimes I'm told I can, sometimes I'm told I can't, and it can be very confusing. That causes stress. Yeah. And then the terms that you use also cause problems. Mm. If you're using the word down to mean to get down after jumping up, or to lie down, or to get off the couch. If you're using it for all of those different things, they don't know how to separate that. Yeah. So then they're like, well, what do you want me to do? So you got to have a different word for each behavior that you want to use. And then also everybody in the household and anybody you come into contact with needs to use the same word. So even if you hire a pet sitter and a dog walker, you need to teach them what terminology you are using with your dog. And this next point, we've mentioned this in other episodes, especially when it comes to having your dogs off leash. You cannot underestimate your dog's obedience level and the ability to override their natural instincts. Just because a dog graduated from puppy school does not mean they're going to 100% obey you at all costs when their instinctual side comes out. Mm. They are an animal. They are very connected to that. Their instinct cannot be removed. And you cannot underestimate their natural instincts and their behaviors to stimuli. Oh, my dog is fine. He's such a good boy. We can walk down the street in my neighborhood off leash. He's never going to run after a squirrel or never going to run after a rabbit. Mm -hmm. They may at one point. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You cannot underestimate your dog's instinct, period. And then if they do do that, you risk them potentially running in front of a moving car in order to get to that squirrel or rabbit or whatever it is they want because their instinct is stronger than their, I guess, sense of awareness at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we have a, a few more points here and we are just about out of time for the first half of our show. Mm-hmm. So let's quickly go through. We talked about the boundaries. We talked about underestimating their instinct. We've talked about a lot of different things that they might be inadvertently neglecting. These last ones, I think, are really important to keep in mind. We talk about not adding stress to our animal's life. And this next one, oh boy. (laughs) I'll let Miranda take this one because I might get on a soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need that right now. (laughs) Yes. One of the things that some people tend to do, and I guess it's something that feels natural to do, I suppose, just because that's the way our society has been for a long period of time, is to physically and vocally reprimand your dog when they're doing something that you don't like. This doesn't really work because usually by the time we physically and vocally reprimand the dog, whatever it was that they did has already happened. And the time period that has passed, they're no longer going to associate your reaction to what it was that they did. They're just going to think you're yelling at them for no reason. Right. And the thing is, is anything that they do, they're not trying to be bad dogs. They just haven't been taught or learned effectively the behavior that you do want them to have. So physically and vocally reprimanding your dog is not going to get the results that you want. All it's going to do is make them fearful of you. It's going to make them not trust you. It potentially going to create other behavior issues. 
So you need to really look at what is causing the behavior that they did and try to address the root issue and focus on retraining them to what it is that you want. So some of these behavior challenges that you might react to are things like jumping, barking, whining, creating damage in your home or backyard or something like that. They're not trying to be bad. It's a message. They're communicating in some way and we need to understand what they're communicating and we need to train them with the desired behavior. So that means you, again, you have to have that patience, dedicate the time to shifting the behavior. And maybe you might have to work with a professional if it's something that is severe enough. So the last one we want to address is improperly using leashes, collars, and other training devices such as shock collars. So with leashes, there's a lot of people who like to use those extend the leashes that have, I don't know what they're called. I can't think of what they're called. Retractable. Retractable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm against that. <laughs> Yes, because that doesn't give you any control over your dog. And maybe you don't believe you need to have control over your dog, but you do. Mm -hmm. Again, they thrive <laughs> with rules and boundaries. Mm -hmm. You're not doing something that they're not used to. They would get that in the wild if they lived at the pack of wolves. Wolves have rules and boundaries that they enforce within their group. Mm -hmm. You just need to do it gently and compassionately mm -hmm. and give them a reason to want to. Mm -hmm. These retractable leashes too are generally not very strong. So if your dog suddenly decides to charge out at something, then that leash can snap and break very easily. So there again, you don't have any control if that happens. Collars are another issue because sometimes the collars that are used on dogs don't fit their necks properly. The collars can end up slipping over their heads when they're pulling and trying to get to where it is that they want to go. But another issue is I see people who are trying to train their dogs to walk on the leash properly, yanking back on the collars to try to tell their dog, no, stop pulling. Well, what you're doing is, again, you're creating fear. You are potentially causing damage to their trachea. There should never be any pressure being put on their throat. It's not going to send the message that you really want them to have. So you need to work with somebody to show you how to properly train them on a leash and how to properly address any pulling issues they have. And a harness is helpful for that. If you get one of those harnesses where it attaches at the front, that can help. But talk to a professional to help you with that. And then things like shock collars. These are designed to not cause harm to the animals. It's supposed to be at a really low setting so that it's just creating a little bit of a vibration, just enough to say, okay, stop what you're doing. It's not supposed to create any pain or discomfort. So any of these kinds of collars that are going to create pain or discomfort, don't use those and make sure that you know how to use any of those training devices properly. Yeah, in my opinion, that goes for prong collars and those chain collars that tighten as they pull. Right. Those are not good to use. Yes, I extended that out slowly because I want you to get it. They are not good to use. Just like Miranda mentioned, 
any tightness or pressure on the trachea is something you want to stay away from. I don't care if you have a Rottweiler. I don't care if you have a big, thick, muscular dog. They don't need collars like that. Mm -hmm. I don't care what somebody told you. They don't need it. If they had proper training, they would be healing right next to your side at all times. You wouldn't have to have any tightness on a leash. There would be slack in your leash. And that is what you want. You want your dog to walk beside you calmly, quietly with slack in the leash. Okay, I'm done. So this was a lot, again, a lot of information for you, but hopefully you've been able to take some of it to heart and see some of the suggestions that you might be able to look at and maybe shift somewhere. Yeah. We're only looking for 1% changes here. If you knew more, we like you, but (laughs) even if you knew 1%, we like you too. As long as you are doing whatever you're doing to help the animal live healthier, less stressed lives Mm. and just take these things into consideration. Again, we understand that some of these things you may not even be aware of. Now you're aware Mm. and your dog's going to be better for it. And with that, we'll see you in just a little bit. Hey there, we hope you've been enjoying this episode. In two weeks time, we'll be talking to all of you cat owners out there. But next week... We have our very special Halloween episode, so you will definitely want to check that one out. And the second season of The Animal Files will end on November 4th with some important tips that you need to know in order to keep your animals healthy, safe, and happy throughout the colder winter months. And remember, you can always reach out to us directly by going to www.theanimalfilespodcast.com. Calm. Now let's get back to our episode. And we are back. Thanks for listening to the Animal Files. Today we are talking to the dog owners out there. And we are helping you understand things that you might be doing that could be not so good for your dog. We talked about a lot of things that had to do with neglect. And again, you know what you know. We get it. We've all made mistakes. We're not doing it maliciously. But when you know better, you do better. And that's what this show is all about. So we're going to start this half with nutrition and wellness. Let's get started. I think one of the challenges with a lot of people with pets is that they don't really understand the nutrition that their animal needs. They know what they're told by pet food manufacturers, by pet stores, maybe by their vets. And some vets are knowledgeable about animal nutrition, but there's also vets who are not knowledgeable about animal nutrition. And some vets that have contracts with some major food companies. So they will push certain foods that they don't think are bad, but they may not be the best for your dog. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to understand both the quantity of food that your dog needs, as well as the quality that it needs. Mm -hmm. Quality means that it needs to be balanced. So your dogs are ultimately carnivores. However, they do eat some vegetables and fruits. In the wild, they would typically eat meat. That's what their first choice would be, but they will supplement. There's a lot of things in the packaged dog foods that are not particularly healthy 
or even necessary for your dog. Or regulated. Not too. So you really want to talk to veterinary animal nutritionist or somebody who has been trained as an animal nutritionist to get a really good understanding of what your dog needs. It's not a one size fits all either. Just like humans, nutrition can vary for each individual dog. Some can have allergies to certain things. Some may respond better to certain ingredients than others. So you need to work individually to find out what is best for your individual dog. You want to look at labels. You want to look at packaging. You want to look at cost because a lot of pet food manufacturers out there mislead you. They will put things on their labels on their end on their packaging to make you believe that you are getting a good quality food. They will also make a food really high priced and call it premium, which a lot of people end up believing to mean that it's got good quality food. And it may be, and it may not be. You need to do some of your research. You need to talk to these professionals. You need to learn how to understand the ingredients. And like we said, really what is needed for your animal. Treats are another issue. Treats are often used in a way that's not healthy for pets. There's a lot of treats that are sold commercially that are high in fat, high in salt, high in other ingredients that are very unhealthy. High in calories. High in calories, yeah. You know, it's fine to use treats as a way to help with training or to reward the desired behaviors that you want your animal to have. But when we start using treats as a distraction or when we start using them as a way to show our love, then we start having a problem. And you start loving your animal to death. Yeah. And I want to add as far as cost is concerned, high price does not mean high quality, Mm -hmm. but low price means really bad quality. So the lower the price the lower the quality ingredients. Personally, in my years of being an animal owner, I have never once seen a cheap food be good quality. Mm -hmm. So if it's cheap, it's not good for your animal. They may like it, but it's not good for their animal. Right. But high cost does not mean high quality. So that's why you need to do your research. Yeah. Generally, you cannot create anything of good quality at really low cost. It just doesn't work that way. Nope. And if you want to know the dark side of the nutrition industry, check out our podcast. We have one. I think we did it last year and you'll see Mm -hmm. it'll make your skin crawl and your stomach turn. Another area where people might not be aware that they could do more in this area is the grooming of their dogs. Now, typically, I think long-haired dogs are usually taken to groomers, and sometimes they are shaved, which is not really the best option for them because that can damage their guard hairs and prevent them from regulating their temperature. Yeah. But there's other areas that need to be looked at as well. So it's not just their coat itself. It's also the skin. If they have really dry skin or patchy areas, things like that, these are areas that need to be taken into consideration. And something you can do yourself by 
doing some gentle massage on your dogs or brushing them on a daily basis. That helps to stimulate the natural oils in their skin, which is going to improve their blood circulation. It's going to improve their lymphatic system. It's going to also help to improve the bond. And it's also, it would also help to reduce the amount of shedding that your dog could have. You won't get rid of it. They no. will always shed. They're yeah. covered in hair. They're going to yeah. shed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you can minimize it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Teeth is another area that you can do at home. You don't have to just wait until they go for their dental cleaning at the dentist. You can, uh, even if it's something you've never done before, you can still work your way up to it. You can get your veterinarian to assist you with that and show you what steps you can take, whether it's you're using a toothbrush, whether you're just using your finger. You can use toothpaste, but you may not be able to use it right at the beginning. You might be able to just get your finger in there and just help to stimulate the gums a little bit. Ears is another thing, as well as nails and eyes. These are all things you can do fairly easily at home. You want to check their ears regularly and make sure that they look clean, that there doesn't look like there's any coffee grounds or redness around it. And you don't want to go in too deep because you could potentially damage their eardrums. So make sure you just stay on the outer part. Nails, again, you can have your veterinarian show you how to clip their nails or your groomer. Your veterinarian might be more willing than your groomer to show you because they probably want to do that themselves. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not all dogs need to have their eyes taken care of, but some of them have a discharge that comes from their eyes. So you want to make sure that you're cleaning that on a regular basis so that you're preventing buildup. And also it's good to keep an eye on it. If it changes color, yes. you know, that there's something going on. I know with my cats, I don't have dogs, but I know that they have more issues with their ears and their eyes and their discharge if their diet is poor. So the better quality food you can give your animal, the less issues they may have in their eyes and their ears. So that's not a given for all dogs, but I have noticed that even with some of these white dogs that get like the dark color, yeah. if you change their diet, a lot of times you can minimize that just naturally by going through a holistic issue. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to sit there washing the eye all the time to get that stuff off. Mm -hmm. You're healing them from the inside out by using good nutrition. Mm -hmm. Anal glands are another part of the body that need to be taken care of on a regular basis. Now there's a lot of dogs who will naturally expel their anal glands just when they have a bowel movement, but some dogs do not have the ability, something with their design, it just doesn't happen naturally for them. And so they need to have their anal glands expressed. Now, typically a groomer will do this. If you take them regularly to the groomers, your veterinarian can also do it, but if you're willing, you can also learn how to do it yourself. It's not necessarily a pleasant thing to do, but it is something no. you can. <laughs> I've had many an expressive animal in this household. <laughs> if you notice your dog scooting, then that is an indication that they could be having a problem with their anal glands. Yeah, that's a big one because if you don't do this, it sounds disgusting. It may sound like something you don't want to even think about. But if it's not done and they can't do it on their own, they will have major issues. And it might be something that may cost you a lot of money mm -hmm. to fix. 
So if you see your dog scooting around on the rug, if you're noticing they're a little bit more sensitive or not willing to, to go to the bathroom like normal, you need to pay attention to this because they can get infections and they can get blocked. And that's why you need to have a vet on hand and take them for regular visits to make sure that that does not get out of hand. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about this recently as well as, and I'm sure numerous other episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> about getting your animal microchipped and tagged. On top of that, making sure you're keeping your information up to date. Because I think a lot of people do get the microchip and the tags for their dogs, but then they neglect to keep the information up to date. Yes. And you have to do that, not your vet. So whatever company the vet is using to microchip your dog, you're going to have to set up an account with them and update the information periodically. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be including your name, your pet's name, and your current contact info. Because if your info is not current, then if your dog ends up disappearing and getting lost, then if somebody does try to connect the dog back with its owner, they're not going to be able to do that because they're not going to have that information. Plus, if somebody's trying to steal your dog, well, you've just made it easy for them. Mm, yeah. There's also something that's come out. I don't know a lot about it, but there's a GPS tracker that you can get, which goes on the collar that I don't know if it works with an app on your phone or something like that. I'm I guessing, think it does. Yeah. I think I've seen it. Yeah. I think it does work with an app. So that's another thing you can consider using as a way to help minimize your, your dog getting lost and being able to help bring your dog back home. Oh, we've talked. This next one's a big oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is a big one. And we may sound like broken records, but oh my goodness, is this important. It is one of our major cornerstones. You need to get your animal spayed or castrated. If you neglect to do so, you may be opening the door to a world of issues, mm -hmm. not to mention overpopulation, mm -hmm. which is the biggest one. We talked a lot about it in a couple of episodes here, so we won't go into any details on it, but I think you have a pretty good idea of where we stand on that. So unless you are a registered ethical breeder, or your dog has some kind of a health issue that prevents that surgery from being done, please consider getting your dog spayed or castrated. Yes. Now, this is another one that I think happens quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you feed your dog off your plate or from the dinner table? This may seem like an okay thing to do or a cute thing, or maybe you're just like, oh, I can't. He looks at me so pitifully and I just can't help but give in to him or her. But that's not inherently their natural behavior. That's something that we have taught them by our own behaviors. So if you want to break that behavior, then you're going to have to change your habits. Yeah, because you're going to have behavioral issues. You're going to wonder why your dog's begging every time it has a chance to. Mm -hmm. You're the reason. And again, health concerns. Mm -hmm. There are many, many foods that your animal cannot process and are poisonous. Our human food prepared the way we prepare it is not good for your dog. It just isn't. Boiled plain chicken, fine. 
boiled plain beef, fine. Anything with seasonings, sauces, onions, garlic, Mm -hmm. raisins, those three are your dog's top three toxic foods. You're going to have health issues or you may end up losing your dog. Mm -hmm. Don't feed your dog off your plate. Yeah. And even if you don't seem to be bothered by it, if you end up having people over, they might be very frustrated with your dog constantly trying to beg and get food from you. So they may not end up wanting to come over, at least not to share food with you if that is something that they're having to deal with on a consistent basis. Yeah. I always just talk to the animal and say, look, dude, you can try, but I'm not giving yeah. you my food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very solid in that. And pretty much every place I've gone to when an animal is insistent on begging, they know that this girl is not giving them food. And I, I make it very clear to them, whether they understood the words or not, they understand the energy. Mm -hmm. You are not going to get food from me. Now, speaking of toxins, another area that people don't think about a lot, I think is the plants and the flowers that they bring into their home. That's a big one. Because there's a lot of plants and flowers that are highly toxic to dogs and cats if they eat them. And in the case of Easter lilies, Cats don't even have to eat them. They just have to get a little bit of the pollen from the flower on them. And then because the fact that they're fastidious groomers, they're going to end up ingesting the pollen at some point, and that can send them into kidney failure just like that. So yeah. do not bring any Easter lilies into your home if you have cats. Yeah. Dogs, it makes them sick too. Mm-hmm. It may not kill them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what exactly happens to a dog with the Easter lilies. They do get sick a little bit, right? Yeah. I think it's more just like stomach upset, Okay, digestive, intestinal kind of discomfort. So you might end up with vomiting and lethargy and things like that for a while. There's a lot of uh, plants around the holidays that are ones that you really have to be aware of, but Even around the holidays, there's some plants that you have to be careful of. So if you go to one of the animal poison sites, that will give you an idea of what you need to be aware of when it comes to the foods, when it comes to the plants, plus other substances that could be harmful to your dogs. Now, if you're somebody who is interested in using a pet professional caregiver. So such as a pet sitter, dog walker, boarding facilities, daycares, groomers. It's important to know what to look for in these caregivers, because some of them, I say professionals, but some of them are actually not professionals. Some of them are just like, Ooh, I'd love to take care of a dog or a cat, or I'd love to go and walk a dog, but they've got absolutely no knowledge or training to deal with the animals. They may not have any first aid knowledge. They may not know how have any training information and they can potentially put your dog in harm's way because they don't know what they're doing. So we're going to be creating some checklists for these different caregivers that we will have on our website. Hopefully in a few weeks here, you'll be able to see all of the different checklists. So you can go on there to be able to get an idea of what you need to look for when you're using these kinds of caregivers. And our website is the animalfilespodcast.com. We plan on having a lot there for you in the next few weeks, couple months. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have specific checklists, especially with what to look for when choosing your vet, toxic foods. Mm -hmm. This is another area that I think people don't think enough about 
And that's when they are wanting to travel with their pets or travel without them and have to find some kind of pet care for their dog. Do you plan ahead of time? Do you think about how to prepare your pet if you are going to travel with them? Or who is going to be the best person to look after your dog if you're not going to be traveling with them? Family and friends may be a good option for you, but do they know what to do if there's an emergency? Are they willing and are you willing to talk with them and walk them through what to do if something happens to your dog? What if your dog has to go to the vet as an emergency, something happens? Do you have something in place so that the vet can be paid for any treatment that might be incurred? You know, because a lot of vets are not going to just do the treatment and then wait until two weeks, three weeks or whatever it might be for you to come back to make the payment. They're going to want at least some payment up front. Yeah. Most of them nowadays, they want all of it because there's a lot of people skipping out on their vet bills and they're already taxed. Yeah. And especially if it's an emergency clinic, because emergency clinics are a lot more expensive than a regular veterinary clinic. And they're not even going to start anything unless you make a payment first. But also, you know, do they have any first aid knowledge? Is there anything that they can do to help minimize the health challenge prior to them being able to get to the emergency clinic or vet clinic? If you work with a pet sitter or a boarding facility or a vet clinic, they should all have some background in first aid. They should have knowledge on what to do in the case of an emergency. As well, you may need to have certain paperwork. If you're going to be traveling with your dog, you might have to have vaccine certificates and medical certificates to say that they're sufficient to travel or that they're okay to be able to go into this other state or country or wherever it is that you're going to. Or the facilities. The facilities as well, yeah. Some facilities have certain regulations. I know when I've traveled in the past, because I've had a lot of ill animals, I, they just find me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there have been some that because they did not have vaccines, I could not board them. Mm -hmm. I actually had to board them in a me medical facility at my vet, which costed more money. Mm -hmm. So pet sitters, daycares, pet resorts, they do require paperwork, vaccines, and have your medicals update. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to travel with your dog and you've never done it before, you need to have a certain amount of preparation and training for them so that they can get used to, particularly if you're traveling by vehicle, to get them used to being in the vehicle for long periods of time, because it's quite different from just going from your home to the vet clinic or going from your home to the grocery store, which is discouraged anyways. And... When you have these longer trips where they could be in the vehicle for hours at a time and you want to train them to go potty on demand, you know, because what if, if you stop and you let them out to go to the bathroom and then they don't go at that time and then they feel the urge to go sometime where, while you're traveling, well, then you might end up having a mess to clean up or they're going to be really uncomfortable if they're going to try to hold it until the next time you stop. Yeah. And I think most animals will try to hold it unless they can't. Mm -hmm. And that causes a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. There's other aspects of that as well. Just keep in mind that there is a lot involved that goes into traveling with your pets or even how to find the proper care for your dog. 
if you're not going to take them with you. We have two more points. And one of these is something that I think all of us, even those of us that try to be as aware as possible as animal guardians. And I'm going to let Miranda talk about this because this is something that she's really passionate about. And it's something to keep in mind and write in your notebook because this is very often, if not always, overlooked. Mm, Yes. Have you ever thought about what will happen to your dog if something happens to you? You know, we always think about our pets having a much shorter lifespan than us and assume that they're going to pass before we do. But life happens. You could get into a car accident and end up dying. You could end up developing a health issue that is untreatable. You could end up with some other kind of health issue that puts you in long-term care that maybe you're not going to be coming out of. You could develop some kind of a mental health issue that interferes with your capacity to look after your dog or any pet. So then what happens? Well, most countries still view pets as property, which means that if you don't put anything into place, then the government or whoever it is that is taking care of your estate and that is going to make the decision of what happens to your dog. And if people maybe aren't even aware that you have a dog in the home, they could end up being neglected for days or longer before anybody even finds out about them. And even if somebody does know about them, they could end up at the shelter and being euthanized. Or they die in the home because they've been neglected for so long. Yes. So it's important for you to talk to a lawyer and find out what's going to be the best option for you. But you want to consider putting your dog in your will and make detailed plans of what you want to have happen with your dog and who's going to care for your dog when you're no longer able to. There is one thing that I know a lot of organizations do it. I'm not sure where it started, but you can order. And I think most places give them away for free. An actual business card size insert that you can put in your wallet that says, if anything happens to me, my dog is home alone. Yes. Or if anything happens to me, my cat is home alone. The first thing somebody's going to do if you're in a major car accident is go through your personal effects to find out any information about you. Right. And if you have that little business card size document in your wallet, you can ensure that immediately after somebody finding your wallet, they will know your animal is home by itself. Mm-hmm. So look into that, talk to your vets mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, look at the Humane Society, the ASPCA, the SPCA. Many of these organizations probably know what I'm talking about and yeah. probably have those things on their website. Yeah. And you can also get one that you can put on your window. It's like a sticky thing that you put on your window. Mm-hmm. So if there's a fire or an emergency of some sort and there's emergency personnel that are in the area, then they can see that if you're not home and know that there's an animal to try to rescue. Yeah. I know it's kind of a dark thing to talk about, but it is something that we overlook because it's dark to talk about. We don't want to think about these things, Mm -hmm. but it's important to think about them. Mm. So this last one kind of wraps everything up that we've been talking about. (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) One of the biggest mistakes that you can make 
if you're a dog owner, is being unwilling to be open to learning new information about caring for your dog. If you go with the assumption, oh, well, I've had dogs all my life. I know how to take care of a dog. I don't need to listen to anybody. Well, you're doing your dog a disservice. Mm -hmm. There's always new stuff. Yeah. There's always things coming up. The care that we have discovered that dogs need has shifted quite a bit over the last while, even in the last 10 years. So I would assume everybody who's tuned in today is open to learning new information, but hopefully, you know, maybe you'll be (laughs) willing to share. Yeah. Maybe you'll be willing to share this information with other dog people that you know. Yeah. And the one thing that we also want to end with, we talked about a lot of different things today. When it comes to this unwillingness to be open to learning new information, this does not just go to medical stuff. This goes to pet safety. It goes to nutrition because nutrition is changing constantly. We are learning every single day veterinary sciences are getting more and more in tune to what the animal needs. It's no longer the same science it was 15 years ago. It's completely different. It's more in line with our human doctors. The communication, we know so much more about how animals communicate. And something that you may have been taught 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, even five years ago, may not be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. And this last one, I'm really big on the spiritual aspects of who they are. They're not just property, even though the law may say they are. There is a spirituality to animal guardianship. Every dog has a soul. Every dog has a spirit, feelings, emotions, agendas, needs. They're not just fun things to have in our home. And more and more people are realizing how much closer these creatures are to our world and how similar they are in many, many ways. And you have to be open to all of this new stuff because we are constantly expanding and accelerating. What your parents taught you 40 years ago is completely obsolete. So that is, I would think, out of this entire conversation, and let me know if you agree with this, that The unwillingness to learn is the biggest problem Mm -hmm. that a lot of us have because we are so set in our ways. Mm -hmm. I agree. And we need to open our minds, be willing to learn more. Your animal will benefit from the new information that is coming out. And if you love your animals, you will stay open and willing to learn. And if you have any questions, you can always come to us. By coming to Facebook, we have a group, the Animal Files Community. You can follow our page, the Animal Files Official. You can follow us on Twitter, at the Animal Files. You can follow us on Instagram. And of course, we have our own website, theanimalfilespodcast.com. And you can directly connect with us via email at theanimalfilespodcast at gmail.com. We are here for you and we want to do everything we can to give these animals a voice and to help them live healthier, happier, and thriving lives. And with that, we are going to say goodbye for this week. So have a good day, everybody, and we will see you back here next week. Bye for now. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.